Hey CityCast listeners, I'm Shiam Galleon. You might have heard me in past episodes operating as a contributor. Today I'm taking on being your host to talk about the Memorial Land Bridge. After two years of construction, it's finally open to the public. But listen, this project was no small feat. The bridge is the largest of its kind in Texas, and it's drawn national attention. So what kind of effort and research went into engineering this section of Memorial Park? Joining me today to tell me more about it is Shelley Arnold. She's the president and CEO of the Memorial Park Conservancy. It's Monday, February 13th, 2023. I'm Shiam Gallion, and here's what Houston's talking about today. Shelley, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. Could you tell us what the land bridge is? The Kinder Land Bridge and Sevilla and Melvin Wolf Prairie. And this is a hundred acre, a 100 acre project inside of Memorial Park. Um, it's uh, Memorial Park is 1500 acres uh, to give you perspective. 100 acres would be the 10th largest park in Houston. Um, and it's a it, it's it's a connector. So Memorial Park, 1,500 acres, is severed in half, cut in half literally by the six lanes of Memorial Drive. It has been for generations. And this land bridge um, started as actually a nature bridge. The idea was to bridge the two halves of Memorial Drive to allow for safe passage of people, of animals. It's something the public had actually, in our uh, when we were doing research, about what uh, to do to how how to help Memorial Park and plan for the future. Ask for for access and safe connections and safely crossing Memorial Drive. So the land bridge and prairie in the, at the at the end of the day is a really wonderful new uh, place that Houstonians can go, have fun, make memories, and celebrate life. Uh, but it serves many many purposes. Wow, you said so much in there that I want to dig into. Sure. Um, but I want to start from the beginning. Can you take us back uh, and kind of share with us, how long has this project been in the works? What kind of planning went into this? Well, I'll say the construction, actually, we broke ground on in August of 2020. The construction, although people don't feel this, went really fast, especially for a 100-acre project. But the idea for the project came as a part of our master planning process that took place between 2013 and 2015. And that was led by a combination of partnership, a public-private partnership that consisted of the Conservancy as a private part of the public-private partnership, the Parks Department, and Uptown Houston. And together, and the mayor's office and you know others with the city, Together, we worked to craft a master plan for Memorial Park following the drought of 2011 and 12 and 10 that decimated, accelerated the demise of tens of thousands of trees in Memorial Park. A large percentage of the tree canopy was lost during this time, and Houstonians were mortified. So the the group of project partners came together and and committed to doing a master plan, a long-range master plan for the park. And um, hired Nelson Birdwaltz, who is a landscape architecture firm noted for doing things like ecological restoration, a lot of parks work, public spaces. Um, and they're particularly what we noticed in there, we interviewed the best of the best in the world for this project. And what we noted was how well they listen and how science-based and research-based their work is. 
And then as we researched more and more and more, you know, we learned that the native ecology of the park, that which is resilient, that which absorbs more stormwater, that which creates better habitat is native Gulf Coast prairie. And there's less than 1% of 1% of that left in the Gulf Coast. And that's one reason it floods so badly in Houston. That's one reason. This big, big park was known for active recreation and, you know, trail walking or running or biking, but not known for for places where people could bring their families, their kids, their elderly relatives gather. And so we heard all these things. We had a 25-person ecology technical panel advising us that we created in conjunction and collaboration with the Sierra Club. They helped us identify the best of the best of their fields, soil science and butterflies and everything, birds and and forestry. And so we worked to define a master plan. So that's where the idea came from, the idea um, of the land bridge. And then no one thought it would happen. You know, that's surprising to hear that that when the master plan was passed, that there was still some hesitation privately. Could you tell us more about that? And also, you know, from the outside, from the public's perspective, it seems like things have just been going along swimmingly. So how how did it happen? Well, you know, it was less about hesitation. It was just non-belief. Like, oh, this is a great idea. Most people thought this is a great idea, but it will never happen because it was such a massive project. And uh, we were on our, you know, on our way to delivering uh, master plan projects with this first one. And the Kinder Foundation um, said that, you know, they would like to join our effort and provide an, an infusion of funding that would help accelerate the delivery of a suite of master plan projects within a 10-year period. And so we began speaking with the Kinder Foundation about which suite of projects would have the most impact on Houstonians, on park users, would really make a difference for Houston. Which suite of projects would help transform not just the park in a positive way, but the city? This is the one they selected. But So the Kinder Foundation pledged $70 million, which at that time was the largest private sector uh, contribution to a park in Houston's history. And so for the for their pledge of $70 million, um, the Conservancy agreed to raise or to contribute by fundraising $55 million. And Uptown Houston agreed to pledge $50 million. And both the Conservancy and Uptown had already spent some on, on Memorial Park on the master plan. And then uh, we identified about $30 million worth of trails and connection trails to, that we thought would be acceptable for federal grants. So it's about $200 million worth worth of projects. Man, I love that so much. So what I want to ask you, though, is um, all of this it sounds extremely exciting to me as someone with a background in ecology. I had seen a comment online, and this probably won't surprise you prob- because of the amount of resources you've invested into listening. I heard something along the lines of, is all of this construction and noise good for the animals? And for people out there who might be worried about any damage done, what can you say to reassure people about the impact on the environment to invest in the land in this way? Uh, I think that's a really that's a really good question. Um, we so when animals are disturbed in their habitat, like during a construction period, they move. Um, they move to the next 
you know, next place where they can exist. And that that did happen. We also worked with our contractor. Uh, General contractor Tellipson is a fan, you may, y'all may know, is a family, locally owned, family owned general contractor. They were fabulous. And the reason they were and are fabulous on our projects is because they do things like we ask, like care for the wildlife. And so if they, if they were like clearing an area and they found a turtle, they didn't just leave it there or run over it. You know, they carefully moved it to where it would be safe. And we are stewards of the land stewards of the life in the land. Um, Now we're creating habitat too. So what we're seeing, it's interesting. And by the way, they're not all happy stories. I mean, there's, you know, the coyotes were disturbed when we were clearing Eastern glades and they live in the woods and the woods are right there. And we, we removed some of the woods because the woods that it was invasive, it was invasive and not really uh, sustainable, but it was habitat. And so some of them just moved into the woods next door, but then their their habitat was disturbed. So they sometimes come out. Now there's people around in Eastern Glades leaving food in the trash cans or wherever. And sometimes it drings the coyotes out. And so, you know, when you go into any public park that is a kind of a wildlife park or kind of an urban wilderness like this one, you will have some interaction with wildlife. And that's positive as, as long as it's safe. And it typically is safe. As long as you're following the rules, like keeping your dogs on leash. We actually, in 2016, measured, uh, identified every single thing that lives in this park. We spent $300,000 and we did a bio assessment, which is an assessment of what lives where in the soils, in the in the air, in the in the trees, in the in the, in the bodies of water, the bio in particular. And we identified everything. Um, we found things that people didn't know were here so we can track what we do and how it affects, um, how it changes over time. It sounds like that there's so much to celebrate on so many levels with the opening of this land bridge, not just as a marker for for the completion of a project that really uh, was many hands in the making, but also just to celebrate the, the kind of ethic that we have here locally with regards to ecology. For people listening who are very interested in being part of of this conversation around ecology in Houston, how can they get involved? We love people to participate with us. So um, although we weren't the one the only ones to build this project, the land the Kinder Land Bridge in the Sivia and Melvin Wolf Prairie, we need people participating with us to help sustain the work that we've done. We're not finished. So from a from a contribution perspective, where we continue to raise funds to execute additional projects, capital projects, we also need people, Houstonians, to take care of their park. I mean, the reality of most urban parks, most public urban parks, is that the cities simply don't have enough money to pay for them, to pay for their upkeep. And that is why uh, we and other conservancies have stepped in to take over the care. And that takes private citizens helping, contributing, um, in particular contributing. And so um, there are many ways to get involved. And I would encourage people to look at, encourage your listeners to to check out our website, follow us on social media. We're on, you know, all the social media channels and, and do participate somehow in your park. If you care about this park, participate somehow.
That was Shelley Arnold, the president and CEO of Memorial Park Conservancy. Now to Carleone Jones. Can you tell me what else is going on in Houston today? Hey, Shiam. So Houston has closed its largest homeless encampment. But even though it sounds bad, it's actually great news because all the unhoused people that were living there are getting shelter. This is due to an effort started by the Coalition for the Homeless of Houston with the hopes of streamlining the housing process by using the city's new housing navigation center that just opened. So far, out of the 56 people who lived in the encampment, six have been placed in housing, 12 voluntarily left, and the rest went to the city's housing navigation center, which provides things like transportation, job training classes, health care, and three meals a day. So this is wonderful news for our city. Before we send you away, producer A.K. Al Moment and I were invited to an exclusive media preview of the Memorial Park's Kinderland Bridge and the Sivia and Melvin Wolf Park. I got to ask Mayor Sylvester Turner all about it. How you doing, Major? I'm Mayor good. Turner? I'm good. Okay, so what does this mean to the city having the land bridge? Well, number one, as the New York Times has referred to it as the 11th ecological wonder of the world. Uh, but the landscape, number one, it's, it's just, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a space that will pull a very diverse city together. And it's some incredible space. It allows people to come and see the city of Houston from a different point of view. You know, we often focus on, on Houston being the energy capital of the world, the largest medical center of the world, the largest port in the country. But this is some incredible green space that will rival any part anywhere in the country. This park is bigger than Central Park in New York City. Wow. Okay, it's bigger. I didn't even know that. And, and then it's not just for the people. Mm -hmm. This park is also for the animals. And I also got to speak with Sylvia Wolf herself. How does it feel having this be a part of your legacy? Well, I oh, don't, she's interviewing I don't you right think now. of it as my legacy, but I think of it as a gift to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I. I love seeing people around. I see people enjoy it. I thought Sheila Jackson Lee's remarks were really amazing when she talked about, you know, it's the animals place, it's the birds and the bees place, mm -hmm. it's the children's place, mm -hmm. it's, it's the cities. We're just a lucky city because we have a city that gives more than any other city, I think, in the United States. Okay, y'all, that's it for CityCast Houston today. Thank you for letting me be your host. Tweet at CityCast Houston or DM us on Instagram if you have thoughts on anything we covered on the show today. Take care, Houston. I got this. I got this. I'm feeling like Ira Glass started from the top. Yeah. My voice sounds like I'm wearing a cardigan. That's what I'm channeling. <laughs>